Tonight, uh, I'd like to speak about finding a reliable refuge. There's a, pass, there's a portion of a poem that I share a lot here on Tuesday night that's meant a lot to me for so many reasons. But it's from Rumi, and the, the piece of the poem is, Why do you stay in prison when the door is so wide open? Come out of the tangle of fear thinking, live in silence. Flow down and down and down in ever-widening rings of being. So there, we, I could easily riff on this whole thing, but we'll start tonight with just the first part of that. Why do you stay in prison when the door is so, so wide open? Well, usually we stay in prison because of the, as the Buddha spoke about it, because of the forces, the conditioning in our mind of, of what he called the three poisons, greed, hatred, and ignorance. And it's funny, when I was thinking about this tonight during the sitting, I remembered last week feeling quite liberated by the fact that I now have a lapel microphone. <laughs> I felt as though I'd been let out of prison. Why was, had I stayed in prison when the door was so wide open? <laughs> but it was really, I was ignorant of the burden that I had carried in my hand. <laughs> Even if the side effect was to increase my bicep muscles over the last five years of holding that mic, I was, I was really oblivious to the uh, potential to, to be free. And then, I, of course, I felt that cessation of confusion and ignorance, and there was this great sense of joy. So much of our... Much of our narrowness, our contractedness, our lack of well-being comes out of not really seeing what we're doing. This is why we practice, so that we can each for ourselves, each one for ourselves, see what in our lives uh, keep us bound. And I think the last few times, or I I don't remember now because one talk rolls into the other, but I also been sharing recently one piece of the of the Hafez poem called "Cast All Your Votes for Dancing." The one piece where he says he says, uh, "Learn to recognize the counterfeit coins that may ju- that might, may buy you a moment of pleasure, but then drag you for days on end like a broken man." behind a farting camel. Learn to recognize the counterfeit coins. So this is the invitation to see what it is that we, each of us, mistakes for a path to uh, freedom and instead ends up, end up uh, being dragged for days on end. 
And I had the, I had the uh, good fortune, it's, it didn't start out as good fortune, but I, I'm interested in sports and I occasionally buy equipment that's necessary to engage in sports. And it turned out that for two months running, I went into the same store and bought some equipment that, and because this, this uh, the reason I shop at this store is because they have a 90-day return policy. Anything you buy there, you can return within 90 days for store credit. And so I, as I have been for many years, from time to time, I go to this store. And two times in the last two months, when I've gone to this store, I've taken something back, and they've given me more money than they actually charged me the first time. And I know in this world, there is a tendency, when someone receives a uh, receives money in that way, receives more money than they actually paid, there is a little pleasure that may come with thinking that you may have gotten away with something. I actually didn't have it. But I know that there have been times in my life where I've felt happy for a moment that I got away with something. But had I felt that and then acted on that, that effect of what we call stealing, taking that which is uh, really not meant to be offered, it was offered but not freely, it was offered out of ignorance, but taking, but stealing, leaves one feeling just whether you're whether you were trained in morality or not intuitively we know something's not right and then we're dragged around by the effects of having really taking taken something that was not offered and i do have some training in morality but i've always known whether before my training it's not right to take what isn't really what isn't mine and what happens if a person buys into that counterfeit coin of the little pleasure that they might get from, from getting away with it, what they're deprived of was the incredible joy I felt at taking two times going back to the store and telling them they gave me too much money. And then the interaction, the joy that it brought to the heart of the person I told and then the, the a spirit of wanting to somehow give it to me, the, a generosity of spirit that came from the person receiving it. And the whole interaction ended up being twice now, one of, of great, so much greater delight that will endure long after that, that event occurred. Because, I, because it's now, uh, I have what, Munindraji, one of my teachers, used to say, the good karma of having pleasant memories. So just one example of a counterfeit coin that may buy you a moment of pleasure from getting away with it, but then drag you for days like a broken person behind a, you know, camel. It's fun to say the word farting in a group like this, but... <laughs> That's the last time I'll say it tonight. <laughs> so it got me thinking about how all of the training 
guidelines that are offered, I think, in all wisdom traditions, but very succinctly in the in the Theravada tradition by the, at least for lay people like us, the five training guideline, guidelines of not killing, not stealing, not uh, being not being unwise in our sexual relationships, uh, not uh, being unwise with our speech, and not being unwise with intoxicants. That each one of these areas of our life of killing, most people here won't kill, uh, even though it's amazing what a killing culture we live in. It's just phenomenal how it's just taken for granted. But I don't think most people in this room are, uh, they have to concern themselves so much with killing. But we, we do sometimes inadvertently kill things and may not re- have a certain, the, the practice here is to have a reverence for life and to not cause any harm. Uh, insects, animals, etc., etc. So at least it makes us contemplate because it's very easy to, for example, to, I know it is for me, to rationalize eating of, of flesh foods that I haven't necessarily caught myself. And it, it, it sometimes reverberates as something, okay, I get a lot of pleasure and it may make my body stronger, feel a lot of energy, but there's just some feeling that lingers that it doesn't feel quite right to be eating animals. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat animals, but it at least it, uh, I'm happy to be contemplating that because I, my, inclin- my desire is to, is to live in joy, not have to experience the effects of something that, I, that I'm maybe sorry that I did. I haven't resolved that completely, but it's a kind of living question. But killing, I won't spend too much time with that, but sexuality. Sexuality... One of those areas that can buy you lots and lots of pleasure, but then drag you for days like a broken person behind a blank camel. And I know in my, in my younger years, um, in my younger years, I was blinded by the, by the, power of sexuality and lust to the point where I, it, it was never, my, never my intention to cause harm, but th- I did see that there were people I should not be engaging with because I wasn't necessarily interested in a long-term relationship and I would let the lust blind my good sense and I would feel terrible after I was involved with someone who, I, who really wasn't uh, someone who I would really honor that, the depth of that connection with, that I'd here today, gone tomorrow. And I felt the reverberations of that, even though it, it, uh, it's such a beautiful way to express ourselves, and it's made all of us, uh, it's also such, it can be such a source of suffering. And the great joy at, at seeing clearly and practicing uh, some renunciation and a commitment to practice non-harming with our sexualities, engaging in sexuality only uh, as an expression of caring um, and intimacy, and not as uh, not just to 
uh, to uh, have a, a moment of pleasure. In the course of my uh, meeting with people over the years, I've, I've had in my orbit lots and lots of, um, of sex, people who are addicted to sex, and so blinded by, the, by that moment of pleasure. And every one of us, if we've, if we've fallen into any kind of addiction, there's a, usually an engine, some sense of deprivation, some kind of hole, some kind of, some kind of engine. So we can all have compassion toward our addictions and not judge ourselves and not add a second arrow to our, our addictions of, of self-judgment or self-hatred. But nevertheless, we, should, we need to pay attention to this area, to recognize the counterfeit coins in having our any kind of um, sense of happiness that depends on, uh, on, uh, on an, an experience that is so fleeting, so unreliable, so much a cause and condition for a wake of, of dissatisfaction, regret, more wanting, and a kind of insatiable cycle of, of seeking and greed and grasping. And we know with the, one of the precepts, the training guidelines of not taking intoxicants that cloud the mind and lead to heedlessness or carelessness. It is so easy to pick up the iPhone. That, to me, that's a, it's an intoxicant. So easy to reach for the refrigerator, so easy to take a drink, so easy to take a toke, so easy to do whatever it is. But the practice asks us to really reflect on what do you want? Do you want a moment of pleasure that drags you for days like a broken person? Or do you want to be free? There is no freedom in happiness that depends on satisfying some kind of temporary hunger. There's just no freedom in it. This doesn't mean that you, the, the basic hunger of, of needing food, we have to have satisfy those things. But many of the things that we use to satisfy, to satisfy that deeper hunger, that to bring us happiness, just adds to our misery. That's why Srinya Sargadatsa says, all search for happiness is misery and leads to more misery, that the only happiness worth that name is the natural happiness of being awake. And that leads to the reminder that when we think of a reliable refuge, finding a reliable refuge, we have to first, we have to see whether it's true, but the, what the Buddha recommended is that you go to the Buddha for refuge. And you know when I say that, go to the Buddha for refuge, it doesn't mean go to a statue of the Buddha and bow to it and then say, say now, I'm, now I have a reliable refuge. Or he doesn't say become a Buddhist. He doesn't say adopt any views about reality. He says... Be, go to the Buddha for refuge. Buddha simply means wake up, be awake. Be awake. 
what happens when you're awake, when you're actually mindful of the desire to, to, if you're actually awake when you're in that, that compelling, passionate moment where you're making a determination whether you should sleep with that person. Have you ever been there? When you hit that moment, you, you, at least you have, that <laughs> you have that space of choice. If you're awake, you can sense, you can reflect, what is my motivation for doing this? Do I want to have, do I want to have pleasure or do I want to be free? And I'm not saying we shouldn't all have pleasure, but we need to not have what the Buddha called misplaced faith in the pleasures of the senses. This is a, this is a trap. Because the, the true happiness has nothing to do with satisfying hunger. True happiness has everything to do with the cessation of hunger, with not needing anything to be happy. The only happiness worth that name is the happiness of being conscious. So we go to the Buddha for refuge. We wake up. And I realize when I'm awake, when I'm aware, even in the, with the presence of lust or greed, if I'm present with that, that very feeling of lust and greed awakens me even more. It's my, it's my manure. It brightens my mind to feel it. When I'm oblivious to it, I act it out, and it leads me into that imagined future. It leads me into the memory of the past. I lose my vitality. I lose my connection with that uh, vital present that we spoke about during the sitting tonight. So I go, go to the Buddha for refuge. And then the other thing he recommended, go to the Dharma for refuge. And dharma means truth, the way things are. Go to, and for me, in this, in this context of this conversation, the truth means be truthful, be honest, be congruent, be authentic, be in integrity. But it also means see what is true about reality. Really learn through taking refuge, being awake, see what the Dharma actually is, what's true. And at first, when we're not awake, we don't notice. And that's why I, was, I didn't know that I was in prison when the door was so wide open. But as I wake up, in whatever way I can, then I see the Dharma. And then what do, what do we see about the Dharma? What is at the heart of the Dharma the, what, is the, what is one of the great liberating insights of the Dharma? That everything, all these counterfeit coins, they are marked by the, the three characteristics that all experiences are marked with. Every experience is marked by impermanence. Anything that is marked by impermanence is unreliable as a source of reliable happiness. And anything that 
uh, is, is impermanent, unreliable, is, it's not mine. It's not me. This is, I can't own it. I can't hold on to it. And if I associate my identity with anything that is changing, I'm dragged for days like a broken man behind a blank camel. And if I do, if I am living in harmony with things as they are, impermanent, unreliable, empty of self, if I really see that, if I'm in, in, uh, in harmony with the truth, then quite naturally I develop a sense of balance, a sense of equanimity, a sense of a, a, a heart or mind that can experience joy and let it fly, experience pain and let it, and let it move, that I don't have to I don't have to be constantly running from presence, from, from wakefulness. I don't have to go to sleep to be happy. And I can kiss, I think I shared the, Blake, is that what it was? I can kiss the joy as it flies. And then, as Blake says, I can live in eternity sunrise. So I take refuge in the Buddha, take refuge in the Dharma. So integrity means to speak truthfully, to act truthfully, to tell myself the truth, to think truthfully, to not do anything that is not really congruent or in harmony with the truth. And if I do that, then I, I have the potential for a real kind of bliss. What the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness. I don't have to be, my mind does not have to be reverberating from the things I've said. So that, that leads naturally to wise speech. I've been talking about that a lot in the last many months because I've had the habit in my life of practicing unwise speech at inopportune moments and giving myself the, little, the pleasure of dumping on someone and then being dragged for days like a regretful fool, you know, the rest. And it's clear that when I practice wise speech, harmonious speech, timely speech for the benefit of whoever I'm speaking to, not to cause harm with my speech, I'm, I'm uh, much happier. It's just how it is. Even if I have to sit with feeling furious because I've got some kind of frustrated desire or someone has uh, said something that wounds my pride, uh, those, those little release valves are counterfeit coins. And uh, they don't work. They are impermanent, unreliable, and they lead to suffering. So wise speech, uh, wise, wise action, uh, wise livelihood. I won't get into all of them tonight, but the basic precepts of not killing, not stealing, not being 
exploitive in, with my sexuality, not being unwise with my speech, and not clouding my mind with intoxicants. Uh, seems to me that uh, that all of us have this capacity to have as I started to say, the bliss of blamelessness, to give the gift to everyone in our lives, the gift of um, what the Buddha called the gift of fearlessness, being so harmonious in our body, speech, and mind that no one has to be afraid of us, that we, by virtue of just who we are, we represent the best of friendship. The reason I use the word friendship is because I came upon this poem by Dina Maria Mulak Craig called Friendship. And just think about the people in your life who have this quality. And you can, I'll guarantee you that they have, they have some measure of purity of action that they've operate with. Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person. Having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all right out just as they are. Chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful hand will take and sift them, keeping what is worth keeping, and with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. So in order for us to have that as our true refuge, as our true home, that sense of, of open-heartedness, that sense of, of kindness, that fearlessness where no one has to be afraid of us, uh, we have to wake up. We have to go to the Buddha for refuge. We have to go to the Dharma for refuge. And finally, the Buddha recommended that you go to the Sangha for refuge, that you, that you stay in contact, that you let yourself continue to be mirrored by others every day in one form or another by your wakefulness and by your contact. You uh, continually because we are all mirrors, you confess your delusions. You, you, let, you let people see your messes and your beauty and your messes. Uh, and this is, to me, one of, the, one of the beautiful supports of community. Not to mention that it keeps us happy. I've been listening to the, one of the talk radio stations, and they have the 60-second the science little snippets. I love those little 60-second scientific American snippets. And there are these studies that have been done that people, and it's, this is especially for people over 40, so all of you younger yogis, you can uh, practice this when you hit your 40s or get prepared for this. But those who are over 40 who have friendly contact either friend or family, with at least 10 people regularly are uh, statistically <laughs> much happier than those who don't. And so whatever that means to you, whether it's sangha, whether it's friendships, a group of friends, whether it is family, extended family, 
really make use of their support, their mirror-like um, presence in your life, life, and practice. Practice non-harming. And until that point where you are, um, that you're a light unto whatever, whoever you are with. And implicit in all of this is the reminder that we are not just stuck being the contracted messes who have caused harm to ourselves and others, still causing harm, that we are all trainable. And the Buddha, one of the things that I found very inspiring, he said, if it was not possible to do this, I would not ask you to. So every one of us can wake up. Every one of us can be... uh, I'm working hard on my speech, wise speech, and I'm Fortunately, I don't have to work so hard on the taking that which is not offered. Don't have to work on the sexuality anymore. I do have to work on the intoxicants in the form of the various electronic things that I can easily be pulled into. Um, and sometimes with food and, you know, different, whatever it is. That's what, uh, that's wherever the rubber meets the road, that's what we attend to. And just know that we can really become quite happy. So I thought that just as a way of punctuating this, we would, we would both, uh, I would share some, the basic training guidelines. thought that I would use the Thich Nhat Hanh version, but I don't have them. I do have the Dogen, the, from the Zen tradition, the Dogen, Precepts, which are the ten great precepts. First one, and I'll give you a little bit of Dogen's commentary, and there, it's a little bit cryptic, so you'll have to contemplate it. Do not kill. No life can be cut off. The life of Buddha is increasing. Continue the life of Buddha. Do not kill Buddha. Beautiful. Do not steal. The mind and its passions are one. The gateway to enlightenment stands wide open. Do not covet the doer, the doing, and that which has the doing done to it are all immaculate. Therefore, there is no desire. It is the same doing as that of all the Buddhas. Do not say that which is not true. The wheel, the commentary, the wheel of Dharma rolls constantly and lacks for something, yet needs something. The sweet dew covers the whole world, and within it lies the truth. Do not sell the wine of delusion. There is nothing to be deluded about. If we realize this, we are enlightenment itself. Do not speak against others. In Buddhism, the truth and everything are the same. The same law, the same enlightenment, the same behavior. Do not allow anyone to speak of another's faults. Do not allow anyone to make a mistake in Buddhism. Seven, do not be proud of yourself and devalue others. Every Buddha, every ancestor realizes that he is the same as the limitless sky and as great as the universe. 
When they realize their true body, there is nothing within or without. When they realize their true body, they are nowhere upon this earth. Eight, do not be mean in giving either dharma or wealth. To me, I'd say dharma meaning, I mean truth or wealth. There's nothing to be mean with. One phrase, one verse, a hundred grasses. One dharma, one enlightenment, every Buddha, every ancestor. Do not be angry. There is no retiring, no going, no truth, no lie. There is a brilliant sea of clouds. There is a dignified sea of clouds. Last, do not defame the three refuges, the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. So let's, uh, one thing we can do now is to, uh, rather than chant the five training guidelines of the commitment not to kill, steal, be exploitive with our sexuality, lie or use intoxicants. Uh, we've already done that. Now we can make the commitment to, uh, to go to that reliable refuge. And that is uh, to go to the Buddha, to the Dharma, the Sangha. And we'll do it in the, we'll chant it in the same way that it's been chanted for 2,600 years. Just a reminder for, because we're all really secular types and so is the Buddha for that matter, really wasn't a Buddhist. So just remember this, you're just talking about your Buddha nature. We'll do this call and response so that you can, we can all do it together. Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sammasambhutasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhutasa Namo tasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambhutasa Buddham Saranam Gachami Buddham Dhamam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Dhamam Saranam Gachami Dutyampi Sangam Saranam Gachami Tatyampi Buddham Saranam Gachami Tatyampi Dhamam Saranam Gachami Tatiampi Sangam Saranam Gachami
I go to the Buddha for refuge, I go to the Dharma for refuge, I go to the Sangha for refuge three times. So as, as you listen to the training guidelines from Dogen, he is begging you to uh, realize uh, that in your deepest nature you need nothing, that you are the Buddha, that you are the Dharma, that, uh, that you are exactly what you're looking for, and that the, the deep connection with life uh, is available and that each time we act out of uh, ignorance, out of greed, out of hatred, and choose the counterfeit coins, we deprive ourselves of that, that deep inter- sense of interbeing. So may you all commit to uh, realizing your deepest nature, commit to uh, causing, uh, not causing harm, and uh, be absolutely determined uh, to be liberated for the welfare and benefit of all beings. Let's sit quietly. Just You don't have to change postures. Just, just settle in and let whatever goodness, any blessings, any benefits, any fruits to our being together be shared with all beings, all creatures, everywhere. The deep wish that everyone can find happiness and peace, the causes of happiness and peace. All beings everywhere can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering that all beings can Realize the sacred happiness that's without sorrow here and now. And a deep wish that all beings find that unshakable equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows with less reactivity. May all beings be free. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for allowing me to confess my delusions. And uh, and thanks for your generosity. And uh, see you next week. Hopefully. Not since last week. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.